Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. You know, every day we make decisions, don't we? Most are inconsequential. Some are more important, and some are life-altering decisions. But no choice we make is any more consequential than the one we're going to look at today. The choice of where you're going to spend eternity. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, we can't possibly predict when or where, but the truth is the day is coming for every one of us. Someday our hearts will stop beating and we'll be on the threshold of a new beginning. So when that day comes, what's next for you? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares what Jesus said about your life beyond the grave. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. We have come to the final day in my teaching series called 18 Minutes with Jesus. And this is the very last day to request a copy of my best-selling book by the same title, 18 Minutes with Jesus. Imagine asking Jesus to meet you at the local coffee shop so that you could have a one-on-one conversation. Given that opportunity, what do you think Jesus would say to you? This is what I had in mind when I wrote 18 Minutes with Jesus. In its pages are things I believe he'd share with you if your time was short and your eternity was at stake. Please, on this final program in May, reach out and request my book, 18 Minutes with Jesus. I can hardly wait to share it with you because I know that your faith will be strengthened. Plus, when you give, you're equipping others to live in love like Jesus as well. Not long ago, I heard from Diane in Mississippi who said, Pathway to Victory has been a huge blessing in my life. This morning especially, I needed your message on living by faith. I'd been in a bit of a slump and lost focus for a little while. God used that message to refocus my spiritual eyes. Thank you for your ministry. It's one of the pavers on my walkway to eternity. Beautifully said, Diane. And your encouraging comment inspires all of us to keep giving generously to Pathway to Victory. Now, we'll say more about my best-selling book and other resources later. But right now, in this final message of the series, I'd like to address the most important topic of them all. I titled today's message, Straight Talk About Your Eternal Destiny. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we look at some straight talk from the Savior about your eternal destiny. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus draws four sharp contrasts. He's going to talk about two kinds of roads, two kinds of prophets, two kinds of followers, and two very different kind of houses. Let's look at what he says, first of all, about two different kinds of roads in life. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. But the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to salvation, and there are few who find it. Some theologians I read this week try to make a distinction between the gate and the road. There's a narrow gate and a narrow road, a wide gate and a wide road. They're the same thing. In Jesus' day, 
uh, roads, paths had a gate at the beginning of them. You went through the gate in order to travel on a particular road. And Jesus said there are really only two roads in life. There is the broad road that many people are on that leads directly to hell. And there is a narrow road that few are on that lead to heaven. You know, one of the most common arguments against this belief in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation is the fact of other religions. I've had people say to me in the television interview, Pastor, are you so ignorant that you don't realize that Christians have always been a minority of the world's population, even today of 7 billion people in the world. There are a billion Muslims, there are 650 uh, Buddhists, 350 million Hindus, and on and on it goes. Only 2 billion, less than a third of the world's population, can even be classified as Christian. And that's only because they live in Christian-designated countries. The total of true Christians is much less. Pastor, are you so intolerant and ignorant that you would say, all of these other people are wrong? Are you going to send them to hell because they believe the wrong thing? Well, first of all, I'm not sending anybody to hell. Jesus is. Jesus is the one who made this comment, not me. And the fact that the majority of people are going to burn in hell forever and ever and ever is unthinkable to us, but it's exactly what Jesus taught here. He said the majority of people are not on the way to heaven. They are on the broad way that leads to eternal death. There are only a few who ever find the way to heaven. The fact that only a few people profess to be Christians is absolutely affirmation of what Jesus said. Somebody once asked the great Bible expositor G. Campbell Morgan, how do you explain the thousands and thousands and thousands of religions in the world? And Morgan said, there aren't thousands of religions in the world, there are only two religions in the world. Every other religion, the thousands of religions in the world are all spelled the same way, D-O. Do this, do this, do this. Did you know this is going to get me in trouble for saying, but I don't care. It's true. There's not a dime's worth of difference between Judaism and Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. Not a dime's worth of difference in all of those religions. Do you know that? Because they are all based on do. They have a list. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and you may make it into heaven. The different religions have different lists, but it's all the same. Do this, do this, do this. That's the Broadway. There is all the religions in the world spelled D-O. Different gates that enter to it, but it's the same road that leads to hell. But Christianity and Christianity alone is spelled not D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. Done. Salvation is not what I do for God. It is what God has done for me in sending his son Jesus to cover my sins. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. There are two roads, Jesus said. You have to choose which road you're going to be on for your eternal destiny. But that's not all. There's a second contrast. Two kinds of prophets. Two kinds of prophets. Look at verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who have come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How do people get onto the wrong road that leads to eternal destruction? 
It's usually through somebody they listen to or read or watch on television. Some kind of prophet who doesn't appear as a wolf. He appears as a harmless sheep. But inside, he's a ravenous wolf. It's a prophet who appears to be intellectual, appears to be loving and inclusive and kind and appealing. It's those kind of people that lure people on the wrong road. So the question is, how do I know if a prophet is a true prophet or a false prophet? How do I know if I should listen to him or reject him? Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. You shall know them, that is these prophets, by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. <laughs> you don't have to be a horticulturist to know you don't get grapes from a thorn bush. You don't get figs from a thistle. No, grapes come from grape vines. Figs come from fig trees. The problem is sometimes you can't tell it apart from a distance between the good tree and the bad tree. Jesus said the same thing about the kind of fruit of bad prophet bears. Every good tree bears good fruit. The bad tree bears bad fruit. What does that mean? Every prophet, everybody who claims to speak for God bears a certain kind of fruit, good or bad fruit. When you're trying to evaluate a teacher's fruit, whether he's a good prophet or a false prophet, look at two specific fruits in his life. First of all, his teaching. His teaching. Does his teaching align with the truth of God's word? That's the test of whether a prophet is speaking truth or heresy. A second fruit we need to look at in any teacher is his lifestyle. Look at the teacher's life. Is his life characterized by devotion to God or by rebellion against God? Thirdly, Jesus makes a contrast between two kinds of followers. False teachers produce false followers. True teachers produce true followers of Christ. Look at what he says about two different kinds of so-called followers of Christ. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Folks, to me, these are the three most terrifying words in all of the Bible, the three most terrifying verses. Because these verses tell us that there are some people seated, seated in the pew right now, some people tuned into this message, who have deluded themselves into thinking they're Christians. They really believe with all of their hearts that when they die, they are going to be welcomed into heaven. They believe they are true followers of Christ, and yet, when they stand before the, the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, and God looks for their name, and their name is not written in the book of life, they will hear the Lord sentence them 
to an eternity in hell where they will burn and be tormented day and night forever and ever. Isn't that a frightening thought? That there are people who are not pretending to be Christians in their own mind. They think they are Christians. And yet, when they die, they're going to receive the surprise of their life. When they are dispatched not to heaven, but to hell. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into heaven. Now, I can't overemphasize this enough. These people Jesus is talking about, this group, these are not drug dealers. These are not child molesters. These are not satanic worshipers. These are people who profess Jesus as Lord. He said, they will say to me, Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios, testifying to the deity of Christ. They believe in the deity of Christ. And they will say, not only if we believe the right things, Lord, look at all the things we've done in your name, not Satan's name in your name. We've cast out demons. We've performed many miracles. We've done all this in your name. By the way, people say, well, how is that possible that a false follower of Christ could do miracles? Well, first of all, this is what they will claim they've done to the Lord. This is their claim. But even if they have done those things, so what? There are many instances in Scripture of unbelievers performing miracles. The magicians in Pharaoh's court in the book of Exodus. In Revelation 13, during the tribulation, the false prophet will do signs and miracles. In Revelation 16, remember uh, the three evil spirits that will perform miracles and lure the kings of the earth to come for that final bad battle known as Armageddon. But don't miss the point what Jesus is saying here. It is possible to be a professor of faith in Jesus Christ without being a possessor of faith in Jesus Christ. Well, so pastor, who will enter into the kingdom of God? Well, what did Jesus say? Verse 21, only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Well, then the $64,000 question is, what is the will of the Father? If only those who do the will of the Father enter into heaven. Well, first of all, it's the will of the Father that we believe, not just intellectually, but we trust Him, put our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sins. In fact, in John 6, 40, Jesus said, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. That's the foundational decision you make to trust in Christ and Christ alone. That is the will of the Father. But that's just the beginning. That's not the end of it. That's the beginning of it. To do the will of the Father means to do the things that Jesus just got through talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the will of the Father that you forgive those who wrong you instead of retaliate against them. It's the will of the Father that you uh, exercise the attitudes and practice the attitudes and the beatitudes. It's the will of the Father that you persist in prayer. It's the will of the Father that you act graciously instead of judgmentally toward those who have fallen. All of these things Jesus has talked about are the will of the Father. Some may question when a pastor are you teaching a works-oriented salvation? Are you saying we are saved by works? Not at all. But what I am saying is, and Jesus is saying more importantly, there is an inseparable connection in the Bible between belief in Jesus Christ and obedience to Jesus Christ. You can't have one without the other. 
Let me illustrate it to you this way. Let's say on a Saturday in October, a crisp fall Saturday, I invite you to our home and I say, I want you to come into the backyard and I want to show you our beautiful apple tree. And so you come in the backyard and you look at the tree, but instead of having fully ripened apples on it like it should, the tree is absolutely bare. Not an apple anywhere. And not only that, the branches are dried up, there are little twigs everywhere with no apples on them. And you say, Pastor, I hate to tell you, but I think your apple tree is dead. And I'm insulted, dead, how could you make such a harsh judgment about my apple tree? After all, it's an apple tree. And you say, well, there's no apples on it. I say, oh, that, hold on just a moment. I get my car, run up to Tom Thumb, buy some apples, come back, tie the apples to the dead branches. I say, there it is, there are the apples. Now my tree is alive. No, apples do not produce life in an apple tree but they prove that there's life in an apple tree. James said it this way in James 2.17. He said, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Faith without works is a dead, non-existent faith. Jesus has contrasted two different kinds of roads in life. He's talked about two kinds of prophets, He's talked about two kinds of followers. He closes by talking about two kinds of houses. Look at the dramatic conclusion to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, beginning with verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, what words? Well, he's talking about the whole Sermon on the Mount. He's coming to the conclusion. Everyone who hears these words of mine and, please underline this, acts on them. He's going to repeat that again. It's not enough to hear. It's not enough to believe. It's to hear, believe, and obey. To hear and not obey is not to hear at all, the Bible says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds beat and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Notice the similarities between these two men. They both built houses. One stood and one collapsed. Why? Here's the contrast. One house, unbeknownst to anybody looking at it, had been built on a foundation of rock. The other house, and again, nobody could see it, had only a foundation of sand. What's interesting is both houses experienced a storm, the same storm. One stood, one fell because of the foundation Jesus is saying every one of us gets about 70 or 80 years here on earth to construct our life. Our life is constructed out of choices we make. We choose every day how to spend our time, our money, our energy, where our affections are directed. We're constructing a life. 
And eventually, we're all, whether we're building on the rock of obedience to Jesus Christ or the sand of pleasure, riches, and and popularity, regardless of our foundation, we're all going to experience a storm. Christians and non-Christians alike experience storms. Have you noticed that? Being a Christian doesn't exempt you from a storm. Psalm 34, 19 says, the good man has troubles too. He does not escape them, but the Lord is with him in each and every one. Building your life on obedience to Christ does not exempt you from problems. Don't let anybody sell you that. I'm thinking about two families. One family has suffered the devastating loss of their son. Another family, the wife is in the hospital after what you could only describe as a freak accident. Both families have suffered. Both families have questions. They feel pressure. But their lives haven't collapsed under the stress because their faith is built on Jesus Christ. You get to choose what foundation you're going to build your life on. Is it going to be an obedience to Jesus Christ and his word? Or is it going to be built on your pleasure, your riches, your popularity? It's one or the other. It can't be both. You know, the fact is we're all going to experience storms. But the greatest storm Christians and non-Christians alike will face one day is death and their subsequent judgment by God. Hebrews 9.22 says, it's appointed unto every one of us to die, and then our judgment. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How are you going to survive your inevitable death and judgment by God? There's only one way to survive that judgment. It's to make sure you've entered through the narrow gate, that gate that leads to eternal life, and that you're not on that Broadway that leads to eternal death. You know, this whole week as I've been preparing this message, the words of that song kept coming back to me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Sing it with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus Christ is the solid foundation upon which this daily program is built. And now as we wrap up our teaching series for the month of May, I'm reminding you that today is the very last day to request your copy of my best-selling book. It's called 18 Minutes with Jesus, Straight Talk from the Savior About the Things That Matter Most. When you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request your copy. And in fact, when you give right now, I'm going to include the group application guide that complements my book as well. But you need to respond right away. Plus, by giving a much-needed gift, you'll have the satisfaction of knowing that you've done your part in advancing our mission. At the top of the list is making sure that everyone within the sound of this program hears the name of Jesus. 
Nothing is more important to Pathway to Victory than helping our global audience come to terms with their eternal destiny. I'm reminded of a note I received from Ray, who listens to Pathway to Victory on Sirius XM Radio. Ray told me, Pastor, I've been physically sick with anxiety while enduring the humiliating mess I made of my life. I believe God was forcing me to humility. Eventually, in a massive crying mess on my knees, I gave my life to Christ and have put my full faith in Him. May God bless you and all the staff it takes to get the word out to people like me. Well, thank you, Ray, for that encouraging note. And thanks to all of our Pathway partners and anyone who gives generously. God is using your gifts to help others construct their lives on the solid foundation of Jesus. All other ground is sinking sand. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. You're invited to request the best-selling book, 18 Minutes with Jesus, when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, we'll also send you a study guide to use for group or individual study. Call us at 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book and the study guide, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the 18 Minutes with Jesus teaching series. But you know, today is the very last day we'll be mentioning this special offer, so be sure to get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again Thursday for the start of a brand new study in the Book of Acts. It's called Unstoppable Power, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.